Welcome to the Big Appella Collective with Caveman today. We're going to be previewing week 9 of the NFL season with the Seattle Seahawks at the Buffalo Bills. We're here to show you the best bets to make and all the stats and numbers to back it up. As always, we're sponsored by Black Swan Bets. Get onto BlackSwanBets.com for all your tipping needs across a variety of sports. Black Swan Bets Smart Stake takes all the hassle out of betting, giving an algorithmed approach for you to expand your wallet. So the Seahawks at the Bills, we are looking at a clear weather game, early kickoff, a total of 55, and the Seahawks currently at minus 3. Now minus 3, I don't mind in this game, but I am looking to fade this one. If I'm going to place a bet on this, I'm going to be looking at the under. My concern with the Seahawks traveling here, they've just come off two division games, They're traveling all the way over to the East Coast to play the Bills, and then they have to go back for another two division games in what is looking like the second tightest division in football, of course, after the NFC least. Since Sean McDermott took over for the Buffalo Bills, they are 4-8, 33% against the spread as a home underdog. Since Pete Carroll took over the Seahawks, they are 17-26, 60% to the under, as an away favourite. So off the history on this game, we're looking Seahawks and we're looking under. Like I said, I can't quite get there just because of where the Seahawks are situated in their schedule at the moment. It is a long haul game for them. And as we've discussed previously, the non-conference away games are the least important games in your season. The Bills are going to be on a high. Coming off their win against the Patriots, they finally got the mark over the Patriots, which they've been dying to do for a long time. The one thing here is the Seattle team total. I think Seattle is going to keep on putting up the points that they have. Only one game have they put up under 27 points, and the Seattle team total is currently at 28.5. I have seen some 27.5s floating around. So that could be a good way of looking to get onto this game. If you're looking into player props for this one, Josh Allen to go over 277.5 pass yards, I think is absolutely nailed on here. He's gone over 288 in five of eight games so far, and Seattle have conceded over 300 pass yards to every quarterback not named Kirk Cousins. Stefan Diggs to get over 75.5 receiving yards, I mean, this guy's just nailed on. We love the pick. We managed to get Justin Jefferson from it as a Vikings point of view, but he is doing great things in Buffalo. Tyler Lockett gets an amazing match this week in the slot. Obviously, we've been talking previously about you take every slot receiver playing the Bills. This guy might be a top three slot receiver in the league so far this year, so over 73 and a half yards. Seems pretty good for him. Now, Seattle has given the second most rush yards to quarterbacks. So getting over the 32.5 rush yards on Josh Allen, he's a guy that definitely does love to run the ball himself. And speaking about running for the Buffalo Bills, Zach Moss, I think, is about to take over the number one responsibilities on this team. So getting over 34.5 yards against a team that has been poor against the run, Seems like an absolute no-brainer to me. Next up, we've got the Baltimore Ravens at the Indianapolis Colts. So the Ravens at the Colts. These teams have played each other four times in the last 10 years, with the Ravens winning three out of four of those games. But in the last 12 times these teams have played, they've gone under a total of 45 11 times. That's 92%. That's why I'm really pushing the under more than I am pushing either side of this one. I originally liked the Colts plus three, but this game is down to a pick'em. As some books have even seen the Colts take the advantage now. A lot of that comes down to the Marlon Humphrey positive COVID test, which has also put linebackers Patrick Queen and Matt Judon, as well as others, out of practice this week may or may not be able to come back in time for the game. You add into that the Ronnie Stanley injury last week. Ronnie Stanley was a top 10 blindside blocker in the league. It's really going to hurt this team. 
especially with Lamar Jackson not looking as comfortable back there as he has done in previous seasons. So with all of that, I think this is going to be a very hard-fought game. Darius Leonard is back healthy, which is absolutely crucial. The thing with the Colts, though, they rank 23rd in red zone offense, and they're 20th in the league in third down completion percentage. That is terrible for a team that looks set to make a good playoff push. Now, the last five times the Colts have been a home dog, they're starting to lose that mantra now, but if we still take them as a home dog the way they have been all week, 0-5 against the spread. Another interesting one here, obviously you can't read into it as much because the Steelers have not had the same schedule strength to begin the season as they are going to have to end it. But every team that's played the Steelers has then lost the following week. The Steelers absolutely beat up on you. If we look at this matchup again, out of those 11 times that this game has gone under, the Ravens are 1-10 against the spread during those times when this game has gone under. So the way we're seeing that, we're looking Colts, we're looking under. I can't get onto a side on this one again, but I do like the under here. If we get into some player matchups, Mark Andrews gets a great matchup versus Bobby Okereke. So getting over three and a half receptions on Mark Andrews could be brilliant. Marquise Brown gets a good matchup, but he has been underperforming, although that has been more on Lamar Jackson not being able to find his receivers as well. 50 and a half seems a little too rich just because of that poor connection that Brown has been having with Lamar so far. The one I do like, though, Willie Sneed over 27.5 receiving yards. We were on Willie Sneed last week. It paid off, I think, instantly. That one, he got that in the first quarter for us. That was easy peasy. Getting over 27.5 now. And five of the Colts' last six games, they've given up over 50 yards to slot receivers. So this does look like a pretty good matchup. Next up, we have the Carolina Panthers at the Kansas City Chiefs. So the Panthers at the Chiefs, we have a total of 53, and the Panthers are currently plus 10.5. I really like both of these sides getting over the 53 and on the Panthers here. If I was to pick one, I would probably go the Panthers, just for the fact of how much Teddy Bridgewater loves playing as an underdog. Of course, Bridgewater as an underdog, as a starter, 21-4 and against the spread, which is absolutely outstanding. These teams have only ever played each other six times in their history, with Kansas City leading 4-2, and the last two games being separated by six points or less. Now, the Panthers have had extra days to prepare for this game, and I think they're going to be coming out knowing they need to do whatever they can to try and get a win here. You would think that this could be a game they could look to fade, just because it is the out-of-conference away game, but Matt Rule, and I tell you, this guy looks like a fantastic coach. He is a guy that just wants to win. He wants to go out every single week and win, 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 win. Basically, he's the anti-Adam Gase. So the Panthers' biggest loss this season was 14 points versus the Bucks. Every other loss that they've had has come under that 10-point threshold, so they do know how to stick in games, keep the ball close. In that Bucks game as well, they weren't that far behind until they got blown out when Tom Brady went on a bit of a tear. The thing with the Kansas City defense this week, no Chris Jones, Frank Clark is questionable. That is crucial. That is two of the absolute best players on that defensive line. That's going to mean that Christian McCaffrey, who's back this week, although I do see them using him sparingly, and of course Mike Davis, should be able to get some meaningful yardage on the ground, and that will bring in the play action which then opens up, of course, DJ Moore. 
and Robbie Anderson, who have been on fire this year. So if we look at Andy Reid, 8-14 and 14 against the spread before the bye. 2-9 and nine against the spread if he won that week before. Most people look at buys and they take the stats after the buy, but there are some very meaningful stats to look before the buy. Teams start to think, right, we've got the week off coming up, get to spend some time with the family, go down to Cabo for a couple of days. It starts getting into that relaxed type of atmosphere. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is in that way. He's an absolute beast. But he hasn't been playing as fantastic football as his numbers state. A lot of the Kansas City points in that Denver game came from defense, came from special teams. He goes out there and does what he needs to do. I'm not taking anything away from the guy. He is absolutely the best quarterback in the league. But even the best quarterback in the league is due a down game from time to time. Now, the only thing that scares me a wee bit on this over is the fact that Chiefs have only allowed 260 or more passing yards to quarterbacks twice this season, which is quite outstanding considering almost every other team has been playing from behind. So it's very interesting to see this defense isn't that great yet they've still been able to hold opposition quarterbacks in check. If we look on to player props here, Travis Kelsey, as always, gets a great matchup. I think just week after week after week. I don't know if there is a single matchup in the NFL to go up against Travis Kelsey, but over 67.5 yards looks decent. Again, when it comes to tight ends, even with Kelsey and even with Kittle when he was playing, it's very difficult to get up to those high 60, low 70 marks. Tyreek Hill, again, is due another breakout game. He gets Jeremy Chin, who has been better in run defense than he has in guarding receivers. So over 62.5 yards for Tyreek Hill. That's one catch for him. McCole Hardman versus Russell Douglas. We took McCole Hardman to the bank last week. It was the Black Swan bet, best bet of the week. We released it to all of their subscribers, and it came off, I think, four minutes, five minutes into the first half. He went for a 30-yard touchdown. You just couldn't get any better than McCole Hardman. There's been no lines released for him this week. That will be due to Sammy Watkins coming back into the lineup. I think... McCole Hardman, if you can still get low 30s, is going to go over again. Sammy Watkins, over the last few weeks that he was healthy, was taking more of Demarcus Robinson's snaps than he was Hardman's. Hardman was still out there, especially when it came to the red zone area. They really like having those speed guys in the red zone. So keep an eye on some Hardman stats if you can get there. DJ Moore over 59.5 yards just seems a little low for such an outstanding player. He didn't do much last week at all. In fact, I don't even think he caught a catch until the two-minute warning of the fourth quarter, and then he almost got his 50 yards and two catches. My favorite bet for this game, we took this one last week on the Kansas City Chiefs as well, and it came through pretty easy. Le'Veon Bell over 12.5 receiving yards. That's just too low for a dual threat running back with the pedigree that Bell has. Obviously, Edwards Alaire is there as well, but Bell caught a few balls last week and he easily eclipsed. I think it was 11.5 last week. So we're going to take 12.5 to the bank again this week as well. Next up, we've got the Chicago Bears at the Tennessee Titans. This looks like a juicy game between the Bears and the Titans. Bears plus 6.5 and and the total sitting at 47.5 at the moment. 5-3 for the Bears versus 5-2 for the Titans. In all honesty, I think I am fading this game. I looked into a wee bit of the matchup, into the history, the stats, and everything comes out contradicting for me. Like, as an away underdog since Matt Nagy took over, they are 3-6, and six, 66% to the under. 
and 4 and 10, 71% to the under after a loss. But then for the Titans, since Mike Vrabel took over, they are 8, 3 and 1 as a home favourite to the over and 7 and 2, 78% to the over in non-conference games. Every single thing I looked up comes up like that. There is no advantage through the stats or the history in this matchup. So we're going to take it from what we see. And what we see is the Tennessee Titans offense being great. The Chicago Bears offense being terrible. The Tennessee Titans defense being terrible. And the Chicago Bears defense being great. Again, there's no advantage. There's one good offense, one good defense on each side. It doesn't really lean to a game that you're going to get a lot of value from. The Bears could be missing four offensive line starters for this game. Cody Whitehair tested positive for COVID during the week. And he's been a vital key for a terrible offensive line anyway. It's lucky for them that they're going up against a team that doesn't have a pass rush. I think they're in the bottom three for sacks and defensive pressures per game. If you're looking at trying to get onto this game at all, I would be looking towards the Bears team total going under 20 and a half points. But then I'm also not that confident of it. Because of how poor the Tennessee defense has been, maybe that cancels out a wee bit of Nick Foles' terribleness. Looking into player props for this one, Corey Davis going under the 61.5 receiving yards. Looks absolutely brilliant. And looking under 4.5 receptions too, he matches up against Kyle Fuller. He has been having a wee bit of a breakout year so far this year, but personally... I don't buy it. I've seen him play the last few years. He can't get separation. He can't get open. There's just not too much he can do. And going up against a shutdown cornerback like Kyle Fuller is just not going to be a good matchup for him. Conversely, AJ Brown over 61.5 receiving yards versus Jalen Johnson. Johnson has been playing very, very well this season. But AJ Brown is a guy that when the other options get shut down, he finds a way to get open every single time. Jonu Smith has a good matchup this week as well, although I'm not too high on him. He didn't do much last week, and Anthony Ferkser is starting to steal some of those snaps, so take him with a grain of salt, even though he does have a very good matchup. Derek Henry, over 94.5 rush yards. Now, I don't usually like pushing running backs who are up around that 90 to 100 yard mark. Derek Henry may be the exception. The Bears have let in at least 100 yards on the ground every single game this season. And Derek Henry has gone over 100 four times already. Now, if this game was being played in Chicago, I would be all over Derrick Henry. In fact, I would be pushing that as a best bet and a must-play for this week. However, because it is in Tennessee, he's only had 100-yard game at home. Mike Vrabel has been pushing a lot more of the other running backs into the game and home game. Every away game this season... Henry has gone over 100 yards. Only once has he done it at home, and there's usually been about three or four running backs taking snaps in that game. So just be careful with that one, but it is a great matchup for him. The Bears' defense obviously is very stout, but they have been susceptible against good running backs this season. Jimmy Graham getting on the receptions if he's over three and a half looks quite good. Stay away from the yards because he is a guy that takes five yard out routes and gets involved in the red zone. So stay away from any yardage totals on Jimmy Graham. But getting over three and a half receptions should be a pretty good matchup for him this week. Next up, we've got the Denver Broncos at the Atlanta Falcons. So the Broncos are the Falcons. We're looking Broncos plus four and a total of 50 in this one. I do like the plus and I do like the under here. 
The Broncos hold a 9-6 advantage in this matchup. However, the Falcons have won three of the last four games. In non-conference games, the Broncos since 2015 are 8-14, 64% to the under. Also 15-25-1, 63% to the under after a win in that same time. Since 2015 as well, Atlanta are 15-24, 38% against the spread as a home favourite. And a whopping 5 and 16, 24% against the spread in non-conference games. So that backs up our under and that backs up our Broncos pick. Obviously this Broncos offense is not as good as you would like it to be. They did however come back for a nice wee win last week. Which was one of the best bets for Black Swan Bets. Getting that plus on the Broncos. That second half by Drew Locke was simply fantastic, and I can see them rolling into that again. The Broncos are 4-1, 80% against the spread in their last five games as road dogs, so they do know how to cover. And let's be honest, Atlanta should still not be laying points to anyone. This team has not yet learned to win, and they have definitely not yet learned to win when they're supposed to win. The Denver offense is bad, but their defense is great. The Falcons' defense is starting to get better, and their offense, to be honest, looks like it is coming back a peg. They're trying to get more to an equal game with Brian Hill and Todd Gurley really moving that rock. Calvin Ridley is doubtful to suit up for this one, which means Julio Jones is going to have a big day on his hands. And Vic Fangio knows how to shut receivers down. So I can definitely see a game plan orientated towards stopping Julio Jones. Away from home, Drew Locke has only a 51% completion rate this season. That's the only thing that scares me from this Denver+. Plus. As good as this Falcons offensive unit looks... There are games where they, quite frankly, just can't put the points on the board. And I can see another one of those happening this week, especially 50 being a higher total. I mean, obviously not compared to what we're seeing this season, but traditionally 50 would be on the upper end. If we're looking into player props, there's not too many that I like in this. Julio Jones is up at 86.5. That is a little high. Sure, he's gone over 100 yards the last three games, but the matchup isn't that great this week. I mean, don't go out to the bank and put your money down on him going on the under because he's Julio Jones and Julio does Julio things, but it's not one that I'm personally happy with. Melvin Gordon getting over 42.5 rush yards seems good value. Uh, Lindsay looks set to play, but he is still carrying that injury. His snaps should be limited still. The other one that I don't mind in this one is Tim Patrick over three and a half receptions. Tim Patrick's not a household name. He is that number two guy currently with the Broncos. And I think he can take advantage of what is quite a good matchup for him this week. Next up, we've got the Detroit Lions at the Minnesota Vikings. Now the Lions at the Vikings, of course the big news in this one, no Matthew Stafford who has been put into COVID protocol. I've just now seen since I started filming this segment that there are some lines coming back up onto this game. At closed, Vikings minus 4 and the total at 52. What I've just seen, Vikings minus 4.5 under Fifty and a half. That line has not moved a lot at all, considering the face of the franchise is not going to be playing for the Detroit Lions. I love the Vikings minus four and a half. I like them at minus four. I was prepared to take them up to minus seven in this game. Four and a half seems like incredible value, and it's one that you'll probably have to jump on very soon in order to be able to take advantage of that. Because once Johnny Public sees this, it is going to absolutely spike. I also have a big feeling we're looking at an under game in this one. Especially with Chase Daniel taking the reins of the offense for Detroit. All time, the Vikings hold a huge advantage in this. Leading 76-39-2. to 
They've also won the last five matches in a row, all by a minimum of seven points. So we're definitely in that minus four and a half territory here. Four of those were even Kirk Cousins games. Of the past 13 games, 12 of them have gone under 53 points. And 8 out of 13 have gone under 36 points. So this game traditionally plays under. It plays tight and it plays to the Vikings side of the ball. Since 2014 when Mike Zimmer took over the Vikings. They are 24-33-1 to the under. 58% after a win. They're also 17-23. 58% to the under as a home favourite. And they're a whopping 12 and 26, 68% to the under in divisional games. Once they get the win, once they're expected to win, they really tighten up. They play short ball. And I mean, that's what they've found over the last couple of weeks. Feed the ball to Delvin Cook. Let him do all the work. Get the ball out of Kirk Cousins' hands because that just spells disaster. And let him work the game and work the clock. The Vikings technically still have a chance to make the playoffs this season. I mean, it's not a great chance, and you would definitely not go out and put money on them doing it, but there is a chance for them to get there. The only way for that to happen is for them to beat the Lions, and not only beat them, but put a score on them so that they can springboard from this game and take into advantage what they have as a decent enough schedule coming forward. They get the Bears on Monday Night Football next week, which they're going to be all fire for, followed by the Cowboys. You can just write any team off as a win against the Cowboys right now, I think. Of course, not only is Matthew Stafford out, but Kenny Golladay is most likely not playing as well. That is the two best offensive players on this team. Sure, Adrian Peterson sticking around as a Vikings fan. You still have to give a lot of love to Adrian Peterson, but he's starting to shuffle down that depth chart, and he's never done too much against the Vikings. They've always known how to shut him down. DeAndre Swift looks like the guy that could be in for the bigger day. If we start looking into player props, obviously there's been nothing released and there's most likely not going to be anything released until just before the game. But both Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen get very good matchups. Delvin Cook, how can you not take an over on Delvin Cook, especially when he gets a good matchup against a poor Detroit run-stopping unit. Cook should have an absolute field day here. I saw they have released him just to score a touchdown at a buck 30, which is the, one of the lowest I've ever seen for someone to get into the end zone. DeAndre Swift total yards could look quite good. Chase Daniel at quarterback, so they're going to be looking to rely a bit more on their run game, and especially getting those passing yards out of the backfield. Next up, we've got the Houston Texans at the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the Texans at the Jaguars, yet another divisional matchup, and one that is a repeat of what we have seen already this season. Of course, the Texans and Jaguars are both 1-6 teams, with the Texans getting that win against the Jaguars earlier. The Texans hold a 16-4 advantage in their last 20 games in this matchup, including 11-2 since 2015, and they've won the last five straight. This game has not gone over the total since a Jaguars win in 2017. So this game goes Texans, this game goes under. I love the Texans in this. I love the under. We're looking Texans minus six and a half and the total at 50 and a half. Since 2010, the Jaguars are 7-2 and 178% against the spread after a bye, which is the only thing here. But we don't have Gardner Minshew this week. We have Jake Luton, who is a wee bit of an unknown commodity. But I am not going in on the Jake Luton bandwagon at all. Like, at all, at all. I don't think I can get there, even if he does Gardner Minshew things this week. Since Doug Marone started coaching the Jaguars at the end of 2016, they are 9-13, 59% to the under in division games. In the same time, the Texans are 7-16, 70% to the under in division games. 
all the stats are pointing it. You've got a quarterback who might not even be able to point a single point on the board. I think we're leaning big time under in this one. These defenses are both really bad, and the Texans have closed their facility this week due to COVID. That's the only thing I can give you that points this to be any type of point scoring game. Everything else is taking us under the total here, including the weather. 35% chance of rain with 15 to 20 mile per hour winds. That weather is not going to be as bad as what we had last week. Obviously, last week's games in the Midwest were horrific. Did you see that kick in the Browns-Raiders games? That was, oh my god, incredible. I think that ball is still rolling. But this game is going to be one of the worst weather games that we're going to have for this week. 15 to 20 mile per hour winds are definitely going to make a difference to a rookie quarterback who is not going to be able to do anything deep down the field at all. Now, this is why I love going against Jake Luton here. The number two quarterback on the depth chart for the Jacksonville Jaguars is Mike Lennon. Mike Lennon has been completely overlooked, and they're going to Jake Luton. Luton has not seen anything in practice. He does not get any first-team reps. Maybe 1% or 2% of the reps goes to Luton. 10% 10% goes to Gleenan and Minshew took the rest. Luton has no cohesion with this offensive line. He has no cohesion with these wide receivers. It feels like a tank for Trevor play. This is absolutely a play of a team that does not care about winning football games for the rest of the year. With that said, Jacksonville Jaguars under 22.5 team points seems fantastic in this slot. If you think the only way that this game wouldn't go to the under 50.5 would be because of the Texans scoring too many points. If we look into player props here, Jake Luton under 241.5 pass yards. That's a slam dunk for me. That's an absolute no-brainer. You're taking a first-start quarterback in what would be a must-win game for the Texans to be able to try and salvage a bit of respect on their season. I definitely think they're going to do their best to shut him down. Darren Fells gets a great matchup this week with Jacksonville being terrible against tight ends. Over 16 and a half yards looks really good there, but beware Jordan Aikens does look like returning this week. So take that one very carefully. 16 and a half is low, but there is cause for that. Randall Cobb gets a great matchup in the slot against Trey Herndon. Getting over three and a half receptions looks pretty good. 36 and a half yards also quite good, but I think I would take the receptions on Cobb this week. James Robertson getting over 22.5 receiving yards also seems a pretty strong play with the rookie quarterback having to go check down to his backfield quite a lot more. Next up, we've got the New York Giants at the Washington football team. So the Giants at the football team almost got me there. The Giants at the football team here. The first game was a doozy. 19 to 20, we got the cover on that one. The second game, I don't even think I can get there. To be honest, this is my fade game of the week. I really don't want anything to do with it, but we will try and break it down for you. I'm leaning towards the Washington team, minus the two and a half points, but I can't get to the mark to put any money on it myself. Also, I would be looking under the 43 points but again I cannot get there to put anything down myself I was actually originally over 41 when this dropped but it got bet up to the 43 and there's no value on the 43 for the over anymore after their win earliest this season the Giants have now won the last four games between these two teams the last four years, the Washington football team is 4-0, 100% to the over after a bye. Obviously, COVID has changed that a wee bit this year. And since 2013, they are 1-6, 14% against the spread after a bye. So the stats do tell us, take the Giants and take the over. I just can't get there to put anything down on this game. 
This looks like a middling game. It might be another one where Washington gets the win, the Giants get the cover, the opposite of to which happened in that first one where the Giants got the win, but Washington still covered. These divisional matchups with bad teams are always tight affairs. Obviously, Washington has the better defense, and New York has Daniel Jones, so point Washington there as well. Now, Kyle Allen is starting to look stronger than he has done last year. The last two starts have been decent enough starts for Kyle Allen, and Antonio Gibson is really starting to come into his own. If we look into a few player props here, Logan Thomas gets a difficult matchup, but he has gone over 40 yards in his last two games with Kyle Allen throwing him the ball. So over 32.5 could be a decent wee side bet here. But like I say, he does have a tough matchup against Black Martinez. Antonio Gibson to go over 52.5 rush yards looks a good one. I've seen that down to 50 at some books as well. The only thing is, obviously, the New York Giants do have a stronger run defense, even though they got run over in their last game against Tampa Bay. What I do like, however, is J.D. McKissick over 18.5 receiving yards. McKissick's getting a really good rapport going with Kyle Allen and this offense, so him catching the ball out of the backfield should be a good one here. This does look like the worst game of the week. I don't think I can watch it. Don't think I can bet it. Can't tell you guys to bet it, but I did my best to break it down for you anyway. Next up is the Las Vegas Raiders at the LA Chargers. So the Raiders at the Chargers, yet another divisional matchup for this week. It looks like we're either getting divisional matchups or we're getting out-of-conference games here. We are sitting currently at a pick'em on the sheets and under over of 52. I can't pick a side in this. I originally was thinking Raiders, then I was thinking Chargers have a better one. I think I'm just going to have to play the total. I have contrasts on the total as well. I have some stats here that are all going to tell me to bet the under, but something tells me you just have to take the over with these two poor defenses. So this game has gone over 53 points. Only eight times in the last 50 meetings between these two teams. Since last year, the Chargers are 1-6-1, and 14% against the spread in divisional games, while the Raiders are 5-2 and two against the spread, 70% in divisional games. So that does have me leaning towards the Raiders a bit, but like I say, I can't quite get there. Since Anthony Lynn was hired by the Chargers in 2017, they are 7-13, 65% to the under in divisional games, while the Raiders are 4-15, 79% to the under in divisional games in the same time frame. That has got me looking under, but for some reason, with how bad these defenses have been and how quick fire these offenses can be, I think I just have to lean over in this one, but I will be kicking myself if it doesn't come in. The public reacts to what it's seen last, and the last thing that it saw was the Raiders beating the Browns and the Chargers blowing yet another lead to the Broncos. So it really depends on how you rate those two sides. How do you rate the Browns? How do you rate the Broncos? Obviously, that Browns-Raiders game was completely weather-dependent, but I rate the Broncos quite highly, and I think this Chargers team is good enough to be able to get the job done here, especially back at home. Then again, I can't bet that much on a 2-5 and five team. I think I'm just playing the over, and I'm playing some props in this too. So player prop-wise, Justin Herbert, over 259.5 pass yards. That's a bit of a slam dunk for me there. He's got a low of 264 this season, and he's thrown at least three touchdowns in his last four games. The guy throws the ball. There's not too much happening in the backfield there at the moment, so over 259 seems pretty strong for Justin Herbert. Hunter Henry gets a good matchup against Corey Littleton. 
So over 37 and a half yards looks good there. Buyer beware. Hunter Henry is on a very bad year. He is currently projected for lows and receptions for targets, for yards, for touchdowns. So just beware. Hunter Henry isn't that same guy he has been over the last few years. Darren Waller also gets a plus matchup here. I would go with the over four and a half receptions. He's always going to get targeted through the middle on that slant route, which he loves to run. Keenan Allen also with a great matchup, but 77 and a half yards is a little rich for me. Six and a half receptions is very rich for me. I don't know if I could go the under on him, but I definitely won't be putting my money on the over. I think the value for this one might be in Mike Williams. Over 41 and a half receiving yards. He's rarely come into his own over the last few weeks. And he's starting to play like that player that we always expected him to be out of the draft. Next up, guys, we have the Miami Dolphins at the Arizona Cardinals. So the Dolphins and the Cardinals. Last week was Tua time and Tua didn't do much. Tua put up about as much of a fight as David Tua did against Lennox Lewis that time. Now, I don't really like this game. I've got Fade written on my sheet. Under 49.5 is probably where I'm at. I would lean towards Arizona minus 4.5, but I can't really get there. The Cardinals have won three of the last four matchups, with three of these being separated by three points or less. Before this, the Dolphins had won every matchup that they had played. Since Cliff Kingsbury took over Arizona, they are 1-4, 80% to the under as a favorite, and 4-1, and 80% against the spread in non-conference games. Obviously a very small sample size there, but they are 80% stats. That's leading us towards an under and a Arizona win. Arizona has played in a lot of under competitions so far this season, and I can expect to see another one here this week. Tua was bad. He was really, really bad. Obviously, they got that win thanks to their defense and special teams. If that game had gone an extra quarter, I do think LA Rams would have won that, and they probably would have even got the cover. The Cardinals, I... Still can't buy into it. I can buy into the Cardinals about as much as I can buy into the Bears, to be honest. And they both look about as phony as a $3 bill. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury is an absolute offensive genius. He has such a wide array of plays in his playbook. He takes from college. He takes from high school. He takes from the NFL. He goes out and just dials plays up on a dime. I think the defense comes to play here. Miami's defense has been very strong this season. They were underrated after they had a few poor outings in the first couple of weeks of the seasons, but they've rarely come back into their own recently. Byron Murphy is going to be out for the Cardinals, so look at the slot receiver for Miami. Not sure who it's going to be right now because they did trade Isaiah Ford away last week, so keep an eye on that one. Moving into player props, Mike Jusecki gets a good matchup here, but he has been very inconsistent. So I think he's low 30s on yardage. He looks to go the over, but his inconsistency tells me it's a stay away. Devontae Parker gets a great matchup up against Dre Kirkpatrick. Going over the four and a half receptions looks a better bet than the 60.5 yards. But beware of Tua Tagovailoa. I still don't buy into this guy, so just take that with a grain of salt again. DeAndre Hopkins, as always, should see a lot of targets over his five and a half receptions. Seems to be a week-on-week great bet to make. And I'm going to put it out there and go Tua under 235 passing yards. I still, I did not like this guy on tape at all. He was making bad throws. He lacked pocket awareness. I don't think he's quite as ready as the coaching staff in Miami thought he was going to be. But this is going to be a make-or-break game for him. 
or else they may have to look at going back to Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is a team that is still well in the hunt for a playoff spot. You don't want to throw the playoffs away because you went to your rookie quarterback too early. It's not how you fill a stadium. Then again, the Dolphins don't really know how to fill a stadium, COVID or no COVID. One last one I love here. Chase Edmonds this week, he looks to be taking over that starting running back spot after the injury to Kenyon Drake, and I don't think Drake is going to get that number one spot back. So over 28.5 receiving yards for Chase Edmonds seems brilliant. His rush yards is up at about 65, which is a little too high for me up against that Miami team. But Miami has been leaking yards against the run, so it could be a decent wee spot for a cheeky fiver. Next up, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers versus nobody's favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys. So the Steelers at the Cowboys, two absolute contrasting teams. The Steelers sitting at 7-0, the Cowboys 0-8 against the spread. Obviously, you see this and go, well, you've got to bet the Steelers, right? Well, 14.5 points says I can't give that to the Steelers on an away game. What I do love here, under 43. That's incredible. It started at 41.5, blew to 42. It's now at 43. It keeps getting higher. I'm almost not wanting to put my money down to see how high this can go. Since 2015, the Steelers are 5-22, 81% to the under as an away favourite. Since 2015, they are 16-6, 73% against the spread in a non-conference game. Like I said, I can't quite get to the mark on over two touchdowns. We're not in the NCAA here. That spread is just too high, but that under looks absolutely fantastic. Obviously, the Cowboys haven't covered a spread this year, so I'm guessing the bookmakers are just putting it as high as they can to try and get one mark on the board for them. In fact, if they don't cover this one, they will be the first 0-9 team against the spread in over 30 years. This game does look difficult to bet outside of that under. I don't think we're going to be able to bet the Cowboys for the rest of the year with that inconsistency they're going to have at quarterback. Even when Andy Dalton comes back, he didn't show enough to be able to show that you could put any type of money on him. Big Red may be done. Ezekiel Elliott this week has been limited in practice which is another poor showing for the Cowboys, although Tony Pollard has been looking very good in relief of him over the last few weeks. So it would be really good to see Tony Pollard get out there. But I doubt you're going to find any Tony Pollard prop. Maybe you get a few come up closer to the kickoff. Other props I don't mind here. Now I have two Cowboys ones. Only reason I'm mentioning these are because they are just too low. Dalton Schultz over 25.5 receiving yards and Michael Gallup over 29.5 receiving yards. I'm not betting these ones personally, but they are too low for how this game should play out. Obviously, Garrett Gilbert or Cooper Rush, whoever they put in at quarterback, is not going to inspire confidence, but these two should be more of the favoured targets, I would think. Now, the player props I do like. Deontay Johnson to go over 39.5 receiving yards. He's going to be the guy, I think. Chase Claypool was brilliant for those few weeks, but let's not forget he is a number four receiver, and he's a gadget guy, so he's not always going to make his yards by catching the ball. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster coming out of the slot over 52.5 yards. He gets a great matchup, so I can definitely see him getting in over there. Now, this one is paying on the lower percentage, but Ben Roethlisberger over one and a half touchdowns. It seems a sure thing. Obviously, you're probably not going to get the payoff on it that you would hope for, but it could be one of those ones that you can add into parlays, add into multis, just to pump up the value a wee bit. Next up, we have Sunday Night Football and the game of the week, the New Orleans Saints at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So the revenge game, the Saints versus the Bucks. 
We're looking currently bucks minus four and a half and a total sitting at 50 and a half. I'm looking bucks. I'm leaning towards the over, but 20 mile per hour winds and a 30% chance of thunderstorms is holding me off that total right now. Obviously, the Saints took the first matchup in this series in that big week one win when Tom Brady had no cohesion at all with his offense. But the Saints also have a clear advantage in recent history, winning 14 of the previous 18 games. Of course, before this season, the Bucks weren't that good. This game is usually high scoring, going under 40 total points only once since 2013, and going over 51 in six of the last eight games, including the game earlier this season. Since 2015, the Saints are 59% and the Bucks 56% to the over in divisional games. Since 2015, the Saints are 21-12 and 12 against the spread in divisional games. So we've got a wee bit of a lean towards the Saints there, but I think the revenge factor comes in and the Bucks get this one done. Now we have had some injury concerns throughout the week here. Drew Brees and Elvin Kamara have both been under injury clouds. They are shoring up and they both are expected to play. So you can put those minds at ease. Although Michael Thomas does not look like he'll be suiting up again. We will, however, most likely see the return of Emmanuel Sanders. So there is going to be a wee bit more good news for the Saints. Now, what's very interesting here is Tom Brady has never been beaten 2-0 by a divisional team, which is incredible. The 20-odd years he's been playing quarterback, and he has never been taken 2-0 by a divisional rival. That's another one that leans me towards the Bucks in this game. Obviously, if you find out on inactives that Drew Brees or Alvin Kamara can't go, you take that to the bank, but they are shoring up and are expected to play. Player props-wise, Gronk is on fire at the moment. He scored a touchdown in his last three games straight. So getting the over three and a half receptions on Gronk looks like money. Elvin Kamara, obviously, if he plays over 48 and a half receiving yards, you take that to the bank every single week, especially if Thomas doesn't suit up. Now, unfortunately, running back wise, the Buccaneers have a good matchup going up against the Saints run defense. But you can't take either Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette in the timeshare that they have. You just don't know who's going to be the guy to get the carries. Tom Brady could show a wee bit of fire in this game. Looking at around 290 pass yards could be a decent wee over. Maybe going over two and a half touchdowns with that incredible receiving core he's going to have this week. We've got Antonio Brown in his first game. I'm not going to lay any props for Brown. We want to wait and see to see how he goes in that first one. Chris Godwin is still under that injury cloud. But if Brown and Godwin were both good to go, I would be looking at an under 27.5 yards on Scotty Miller. It's just going to be very difficult to see him forcing his way onto the field anyway. But that does it for another episode of the Big Appel Collective, brought to you in association with Black Swan Bets. We hope you enjoyed our content. And of course, don't forget to like and subscribe to our page so we can continue to bring you more amazing videos. Cheers, guys.